What do editors want? It's a question that many creative writers have asked themselves or more likely muttered dejectedly after a frustrating rejection. I'm Rachel Thompson, author and literary magazine editor and your podcast host. The Lit Mag Love podcast grew out of my course by the same name, and I continue to seek out answers to this question of what editors want by going right to the source. I bring you interviews and insights about how to improve and publish your writing. In this episode of Lit Mag Love, a podcast for creative writers who want to publish, I speak with Caroline Connect, who is editor-in-chief of Whiskey Island. Founded in 1977, Whiskey Island is a non-profit literary journal published by Cleveland State University. They accept submissions of original poetry, fiction, and creative essays during two reading periods from August 15th through November 15th and January 15th through April 15th. So welcome to the Lit Mag Love podcast, Caroline Connect. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to ask you before we dive into Whiskey Island and submissions to the journal, can you tell me about your first Lit Mag Love? Is there a journal that you first read that showed you literature in a new light? Yes. I think the first literary magazine I ever fell in love with was McSweeney's Quarterly Concern, probably back in, oh, I don't know. 2009 or 2010, they really came on my radar um, for the simple fact that they were funny, that there was humor, levity, and irreverence. And I'd never really seen work with such a common theme put together like that before. And the issues were beautiful, and the pages smelled really good. And I loved it right away. And I'm still a reader to this day. I love their web component as well. They always crack me up. I'm a big fan. I love that you really get in there with the with the scent as well. That's awesome. I should also mention too that you came onto my radar because of some Lit Mag Love that's aimed at, at Whiskey Island in that um, it was Alexandria Petrassi of So To Speak Journal who mentioned that she was really loving what you're doing right now. Oh, that's great. Oh, I'm really happy to hear that. So can you tell me a bit about your contributors with Whiskey Island? Who Who are you currently publishing or who have you published historically? We have published quite a few people we're really proud of. I mean, we're proud of everyone that we put in print, obviously. Um, We've worked, we've published with Roxanne Gay. We've published Steve Almond, Dan Schoen, Stephen Graham Jones, um, Catherine Wing, all kinds of writers whose name I see in other journals. And it always makes me really happy to hear people's names in other journals and on my literary radar that we've worked with before. And then we publish plenty of people whose names I've never heard of before too. And I think that's just as satisfying. You know, I I always like being someone's first time in print is really rewarding. Yeah, I I love that you bring that up because I feel like that's a common myth that people who are just starting to submit their writing out think that they have to sort of already be published and maybe will emphasize some minor publishing experience when meanwhile, like you said, discovering a new voice and being the first person to publish someone is so exciting. 
It's really exciting. I am definitely not at all discouraged when I see an author bio that doesn't have any publication record at all. I'm always makes me a little more eager to see what they're doing and to kind of give them a chance and give their work a read. So can you tell me about, you know, you've mentioned a diverse range of writers and in terms of experience and backgrounds too. Do you have specific strategies or practices in place at Whiskey Island to increase the diversity of literary voices in your journal? You know, that's definitely a priority for us. I think especially given the current political climate and this administration, it's definitely a goal for us to think about voices that haven't historically been heard in the past. I think that we as publishers want to give everyone a voice. We want to elevate all kinds of voices. But I also think that's what our readers want. You know, the time of like old white men pondering nature in literature is (laughs) out of fashion, quite frankly. We want new voices. We want to hear about different experiences. And we will always value those, I think, just by giving them a home and letting people who have historically been, whose voices have kind of been pushed to the side or underrepresented really come through. It's important. And I don't know that we have any particular strategies other than just keeping that in the forefront of our minds and asking ourselves when we're making decisions on acceptances, is this a voice that we typically hear from? Is this an author that has something to say from a different perspective? It's definitely a priority And we want to be as inclusive as possible when making decisions like that. Nice. And so when you find that you've found an author that has something to say from a different perspective and you're looking to publish them, what kind of interactions should those writers expect with editors when their work is selected? You know, we at Whiskey Island do very little copy editing, if at all. We will accept your piece as it is. Um, You know, maybe a word or two. Certainly any typos or any confusion would get cleared up. But we don't offer very much feedback by the way of, you know, oh, I think you should change this line or this character feels a little underdeveloped. We're really looking for work that is ready to publish in full. We always get proof approval. So we'll accept your piece. We will correct any typos or anything that's unclear. And then we will send you a PDF of how it looks before it goes to print. We just really want to be sure that there are no missing words, that we've captured everything, that you don't have any last minute changes. And if a writer does have a last minute change, you know, oh, I think I would like this word better, or can we change this line? Of course, we always want people to feel proud of the work that they've done and their work in print. We try and stay as involved as possible in making sure that we're not introducing any last minute errors and that everything is absolutely the way that they want it before it goes to print. Nice. That's a really respectful process. That's great. Can you tell me, like, let's say there are listeners out there who want to submit to Whiskey Island and maybe they haven't had a lot of experience with the journal. They haven't read many issues. What kind of advice would you give for people who are looking to have their work published with you? I always say page one, paragraph one, line one. I really value first pages. And I think I can, I have two editors who work alongside me. And I think that I can speak for them as well when we say that the first page matters a lot. Um, and we read through a lot and we try to read through every submission in full. That said, I know by page two whether or not this is something that I'm interested in, whether or not that this something speaks to me. So my advice for writers looking to publish, especially for the first time, is to really make sure that page one is strong 
It gets the message across. It introduces the conflict. I really, really put a lot of emphasis on page one. Now, of course, I want pages two through 15 (laughs) to be in shape as well. If you've got a great first page and a mediocre rest of the piece, of course, it doesn't mean you're guaranteed a spot. But I think... Just like I said, I I know really quickly whether or not this is something that's speaking to me or whether or not this is something that I would like to consider. And I think my other two editors would say the same thing. Yeah, I'm wondering how common it would be to have a page one, line one that's amazing and then for it to peter out. Like I personally, I find that that would be uncommon because when they come out of the barn, you know, like out of the gates on fire like that, then it means a lot of work has been put into the submission, wouldn't you say? Exactly. Exactly. I definitely agree. And I think just starting from that point of, I always think like, start when the gun goes off, start as late as possible. And I think the momentum of the story is, will kind of naturally build from there. I know you wear another hat as a designer. and I, I actually relate, I'm also a designer. And I wonder how you might approach that discipline differently with your editorial experience, or maybe even vice versa. You know, it's really, there are two different hats, completely. Uh, When I'm editing, I'm thinking about word choice and I'm thinking about meaning and clarity and I'm making sure that the sentences are efficient and they communicate the message. And it can be a nice change of pace to put on my designer hat and kind of check out from the text. At that point, I'm not thinking about word choice or sentence structure. At that point, I'm thinking about literally what is the appropriate font size and spacing issue that will help this message come across clearly. So I think in both roles, I'm acting as a translator and I'm making sure that the message is clear and is communicated effectively. But one involves a really close reading of the text and a deep understanding of what the author is trying to do. And the other is a purely visual, at a glance, how can I lay this out so that readers aren't thinking about the design So they aren't thinking there's too much spacing or that the text is too big and that what's really coming across is just the author's words and the message and the meaning behind it. Yeah, both of them, I guess, are about creating that message, but you're saying the design is more invisible. One thing that happened with Room is we have now our publisher is also our designer. And so there's something kind of neat about someone who understands poetry really well doing the layout, which I I always find is like the most challenging part part to convey to a designer maybe who doesn't have a sense of, okay, yeah, these extra spaces are here on purpose. Are really important, right? Exactly. And, you know, we actually need two tabs here and one tab there. And, you know, you're right. A couple of spaces can make all the difference in a poem. So can you talk a bit about the experience that you've had publishing with Whiskey Island, um, some of the more rewarding things or maybe some of the challenges that you've had? Sure. I think the more rewarding aspects are, of course, getting those emails back from authors after acceptances and they're thrilled or they say, I love Whiskey Island and I'm honored to be in your magazine or oh, this is my first publication. I'm thrilled, you know, and you can like feel that energy and that excitement come through. And then also I have found it equally rewarding working with interns and undergraduates. We have lots of people who help us read through submissions. We have people who help us distribute copies. They help with mailing. They write tweets for us and Facebook posts and blog posts. And it's really great hearing new writers say, I've learned a lot about my own writing and my own work from this experience. 
And I think anyone who's ever read for us comes away from that experience knowing a little bit more about their tastes and what they like to read and what they like to write, but also about what editors are looking for, about the difference between a piece that's ready for publication and a piece that might need a little more work. So I think people are getting valuable experience behind the scenes as well. And that's been really great to see. Um, As far as challenges, you know, university politics are real. (laughs) They exist. And I've had wonderful support from my direct supervisors. My advisor and the English department here are great and always willing to kind of, you know, have our backs when budget issues come up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, It has been a challenge working with some of the higher-ups in a couple, you know, the organization is complex. And in a way, it's been a really great real-world experience because you're always going to have challenges, whether I go on to publish a journal of my own or I go on to work at a small press. Money is always going to be an issue and you're always going to have to kind of justify your existence and justify, you know, why you need extra money for a matte laminated cover. And I think going through some of those challenges and working with the university and kind of saying, you know, we're here, we're not going away, help us, has been an enriching experience in its own way, even though it has been at times frustrating. (laughs) I still learned a lot. I appreciate how you're seeing the positive even in those struggles. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I, maybe I'll just redirect them back to the behind the scenes too, because I think it's often really interesting to know. I mean, you're a university affiliated journal, so there are all these sort of mechanics at work here, the complexities, like you're saying. But then there's also these readers and people helping with distribution who are, I, I assume, a lot of students are getting involved yes. from the English department too. So, yes. And so how many first readers do you have? Or, or sort of tell us a little bit about how you organize yourselves behind the scenes. Sure. So we've got about six interns who take the Whiskey Island course for credit. That's like a one or two credit hour course they complete. They'll get a grade, a pass-fail grade for that. We also have volunteer readers. Um, They are also undergraduates, but they are also master's students, MFA candidates, um, people going for master's in English degrees, and they volunteer their time and they they help deliver feedback. We assign them pieces, they'll give their feedback, and we will take that into consideration when we make our final decisions. I also have two other editors who work with me, Amy Bounds and Elise Demeter. They're great. We all have different tastes, and we all have different kind of um, genres, I guess, that we favor. Amy reads our poetry. Elise helps with fiction. We all kind of read creative essay, just because I find that we get fewer creative essay submissions than anything else, which I thought was interesting when I started. We will kind of fight for pieces that we like. If I see something that I think absolutely has to 100% go in, I'll email them, text them and say, hey, can I get your feedback on this? I really think that we should take this piece. And we kind of trust each other enough to give the go-ahead. We've never had a situation where you know, my editor comes to me and says, I love this piece. It speaks to me. That is enough for me 
to give it the go ahead because I know that if she responded really strongly, that someone else is going to have that same reaction too. So we definitely, I never want to ignore the fact that someone is like actively, actively fighting <laughs> to get the submission in print. Like that's enough for me to, to know that there's something in that piece that's valuable and that there's something in that piece that's going to speak to someone somewhere, a reader somewhere. Um, so it, it's a pretty democratic process and we respect each other a lot. And even though, you know, we kind of like different things and different genres and different styles, at the end of the day, we all come to an agreement on what's going to get published. And luckily, we work really well together. I have heard what, you, what you've said about having a person go to bat on a piece from actually from Shashi Bat from Event Magazine talking about how, you know, someone's willing to really go hard on getting a piece in. And yeah. obviously, like even that divisiveness still means there's something there, like that it's definitely got that readership out there. So that's cool. Exactly. And even if, you know, I, I've, my editor will come to me and say, we have to take this piece. This is great. I simply must have it, you know, and <laughs> I'll read the piece and I, I, I think it's, I think it's fine. You know, it's, it's well-written. Um, it's good, but it, it might not grab me in that same way. But for me, that doesn't mean that it's a no-go. In fact, for me, it's exciting to think about, people having different reactions to different pieces and people being like different levels of engaged. Actually, and the other thing I should mention and, and longtime listeners to the podcast, this could almost become a drinking game. Ding, ding, ding. When you mentioned that you don't get a lot of creative <laughs> nonfiction because <laughs> it seems like it's like across the board kind of thing. So yes, I think it's just no. genre to like to. That's really film. interesting. Yeah. So I always see, okay, that's an opportunity. If you are writing any CNF, then definitely send it to Whiskey Island. Yeah, and then and then the good quality CNF is difficult because often I find at Room too, it's the same case where we get fewer submissions of CNF, but the ones that come in maybe are more straightforward reportage, but we want something that emphasizes the creativity part of CNF. My last question is, what have you learned about writing from editing? Is there anything specific that you can draw on that's maybe changed in your own writing that's based upon what you've learned from editing? Oh, wow. So much. Well, I think structurally and just on a line by line level, keep it short, keep it simple, keep it clear. Um, just because that's, I think, the kind of prose that I'm drawn to. I don't want to bog a piece down with words, which sounds crazy <laughs> because that's all a piece is, is words. I think keeping it simple, keeping it clear, keeping it impactful and still descriptive is probably like in my own work, my biggest takeaway. I think also just like overarchingly, I've read so many good pieces that just don't speak to me that it kind of taught me rejection doesn't mean that what I'm doing isn't good. A, a rejection letter, and I've gotten many, doesn't mean that, you know, it's not working. I think it just means that that's not the right fit for that journal. It's not the right fit for that set of editors, you know? And like we were talking earlier about people really going to bat for pieces. I think that once you kind of learn, okay, I'm not writing for every reader. Once you kind of learn who your audience is, who your reader is, you can really kind of like let all of those anxieties about, oh, is my piece good enough? Is this working? Is this not working? All of that kind of falls to the wayside. And I've learned to kind of focus in on one particular type of reader 
one particular type of writer, someone who I think shares similar tastes, a similar aesthetic, and I know who my reader is and who I'm writing for. And I think just learning that and accepting the fact that like not everyone's going to love your work is really freeing. You know, I always say like, some people don't like Beyonce. (laughs) Some people don't like the Beatles. And you just have to know who your reader is. And once you kind of know your audience, you can write to them and you can kind of leave behind some of those anxieties about pleasing everyone because you're never going to be able to please everyone. Yeah, I think that's such sage advice. And actually, it's bringing to mind, I was just talking to some writers earlier today about their writing groups too. And so it's good to know that even before you're sending the work out, that even in your workshop, you're probably going to also hit on people who are not your ideal readers. And so, you know, taking their feedback absolutely is going to be something that you don't want to do. You want to focus on those ideal readers. Sure. And you know, I mean, you know, in workshop scenarios, it's the same thing. I always have, you know, three or four people whose response I'm really focused in on. And these are my readers. And if they're liking it, and if they're thinking that it's working, then I know I'm doing something right. And then, you know, not that I don't value everyone else's feedback, but I, I just know that in a bookstore, they're not the audience that's going to be picking up my book and flipping through it and reading the back cover. So finding that group of people who are, you know, in your section on your shelf will really benefit you more than worrying about writing something that everyone is just going to fawn over. Because if there's a work out there like that, it doesn't exist. You know, I, I certainly don't know about it. Yeah, if even the Beatles and Beyonce aren't beloved by everyone. <laughs> <laughs> right. I always love when I can work Beyonce into a literary discussion. <laughs> That's great. I wish we talked about her more on this podcast. <laughs> right. But, you know, I mean, there are people who are just like, I don't get it. I don't understand why people like her or like her music. And I mean, that's, that's ludicrous to me. I think everything that she's done is great. And that was like the lesson it was like, okay, so I don't have to please everyone. I don't have to worry about being this like quote unquote good writer because people are always going to have different opinions and understanding that is really important. Fabulous. Thank you. So what is the best way for writers to connect with you and with Whiskey Island? Right now it's our Facebook page. We're at Whiskey Island on Facebook. We are also doing a lot of work on our website. I'm hoping to do a lot more over the semester break that's coming up here at the end of the week. So we will have an active website up to. Yeah, by the time this episode airs, it should be, because this is a really newly minted site, right? Yes, it is brand new. And there is a contact form on there as well. And our email address is on there as well. If you'd like to message us, I think Facebook for now is the best way. But you can also find our email address on our website and that works too. Great. And a link from the Lit Mag Love podcast website. We are on Twitter too, but I think Facebook for response time is probably the best way. Well, thank you so much for sharing your Lit Mag Love with us today, Caroline. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. That was my interview with Caroline Necht of Whiskey Island. And what did we learn from this interview? What can we glean from her and her editorial experience? The line comes to mind, page one, paragraph one, line one. And she talks about how the first page matters a lot. And she knows by page two, if it's something that interests her, if page one is strong, it will introduce the conflicts in a story or narrative. And 
She really wants writers to start when the gun goes off, start as late as possible, you know, as close to a climax even within a story. And that's something I hear a lot of writers ask me, but what do I do? I really have to? What if it's a slow burn? What if I want to kind of go gently into it? And I think in this case, you really have to understand your very specific audience, which is lit mag editors who are reading a lot of work. You might be able to get away with a slow burn start later on in your writing career when you've built trust with an editor. But at this point, it's like an introduction and you're really going to have to nail it the very first line. Caroline Necht also talked about how reading for journals can be really informative about your own writing. And I totally agree. When I started reading for Room Magazine, it really told me a lot about my own writing. I think every writer who's starting out should really have that experience of reading what are essentially their peers, the other people who are submitting to Lit Mags. So I encourage you to find an opportunity to do that if you have the chance. Another thing we learned from her is about how people have different reactions to different pieces. She took that to mean for herself that rejection doesn't mean something's not working. It's just not the right fit for that journal, that individual. And once she learned that she's not writing for every reader, she can let go of a lot of anxieties. And I think those are sage words for for every writer. She knows who her reader is and who she's writing for. And knowing that not everyone is going to love your work, that not everyone loves Beyonce is a really important lesson to learn about writing. And it's one that you can apply at a bunch of different steps in your writing life. So you can apply it when you're submitting to journals, but you can even apply it within a workshop setting too. go, okay, not everyone in this workshop is necessarily my ideal reader. So I'm going to onboard advice from certain readers in different ways. Lit Mag Love is co-presented by Room Magazine, literature, art, and feminism since 1975, and the Lit Mag Love course, an online course to get smart, fearless, and published with lots of help from me. Sound editing for the episode is done by Micah Lemiski, and I'm your host, Rachel Thompson. If you want to give us some love in the form of a review wherever you get your podcast, we would love that, and it really helps other writers discover the podcast. You can find us online at litmaglovepodcast.com or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at LitMagLove. Thanks for writing and reading literature, and thanks for listening to LitMagLove. Love.